Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, Sharon Wickscheider Cruz. Welcome to Arash's World. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. And I'd love to see how would you introduce yourself briefly if you were to pick and choose what, how would you introduce yourself to our audience here? Okay. I would say I'm Sharon Wigschreiter Cruz. I live in the beautiful state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. My passion is writing and speaking, and I've been doing it for quite a while. <laughs> and my passion is also people who are trying to be good to themselves and grow in their own lives. I'm just happy to be here. We'll see where this goes. Yeah, wonderful. There's a lot to say about you. I mean, uh, I have here, just to name a few, a family therapist, teacher, mentor, writer of 23 books, which is amazing. Congrats. <laughs> as well as what I really like too, and I can identify with that, a forever student. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. Why forever student? Oh, because this is a great big wide world filled with all kinds of interesting people. I'll never be able to learn about every place, person, and idea that everyone has. So I've always got my ears listening, my eyes peeled, and I love learning. Mm -hmm. And then there's also life through all the stages. You're also a mother or grandmother. But I also like that you include a friend. And uh, oh, yes. why would you include that? Mm -hmm. Because family, uh, friends, I think, are the families we choose for ourselves. <laughs> we all have blood families, and I honor mine. I have, uh, when we get together on Zoom, it's always 12 to 17 people. So I honor my blood family. I honor the family that gave me life and birth and growing up and experiences. But oh my goodness, do I ever have a lot of friends. I have um been in relationship with over the years many of my friends I've had 30 and 40 years and we're still connecting in the same way we did then I treasure friendship absolutely that's very important and so um uh, your book your latest book is called storytelling legacy everyone has stories what are yours and I'm very fascinated by that 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 sense of storytelling and you kind of alluded to this here at the beginning too with your your bloodline your friends and so on so um, let's talk about your book. Well, what I'll say about the book is that if you knew me in person really well, uh, lots of people roll their eyes and just smile knowingly because I've always got a story to tell. And it's about a person, a place, a thing, an experience. But I think every single person has lots of stories to tell. And I think storytelling is how we communicate. I really do through television stories and movies, through books we read, through everything is a story. And I think everybody's story matters. And, and they make our life so much more interesting, so much more colorful. And uh, often we're just looking at certain parts of it, but we don't see the full picture. And I think that's why I love art so much, because it, it adds like a dimension that we don't usually have access to. Oh, I love that comment because one of the things I love to do, and so do some of my children, is just walk through somebody's house who does art. Or I knew a lady in Las Vegas that did huge sculptures in her yard, and you could only see the manifestation. But when you started to talk to her or to the artist, oh my goodness, it represents so much. Mm -hmm. There's a whole world behind it. And I like also how you say life begins and ends with a story. 
I yeah. really like that. Well, I think it's really true. Uh, I have, uh, not only do I have seven grandchildren, but I have two great grandchildren mm -hmm. and I see life around me all the time. I have, I live in a place that has beautiful flowers and stories are unfolding every time spring comes. Now it's beautiful and colorful. There's stories behind the fall, but I've lived a long time. And so I see, st I see people at the end of their story too, putting it all together. And I think it's the great greatest gift a family member can give another family member or a friend can give a friend and that is listening to and telling their story I remember one day I was walking I was taking my walk and then I get all these interesting ideas that just pop into my mind and on this day it was very interesting because I looked back and I said well this is my story right now at this moment but then it, it's within a, a web of other stories and if we look back in my line everything had to go this way for me to be in this moment right now. And if anything, a minor thing would have been different if my great-great-great-grandfather had not met my great-great-great-grandmother, I would not be here. If they had gone maybe to a different place that day or they had decided to marry somebody else, I would not be here. So that kind of interconnectedness that it's just my existence at this moment and it could have been completely different. Oh, yes, that is true. And I like the fact that you know that. <laughs> and then it makes all those moments count. Not only did they meet each other, but they liked each other. Not mm -hmm. only did they like each other, but they were willing to have a child. Not only were they willing to have a child, they have, they made sure that child got to grow up. Oh, the stories we could tell. Huh. Yes, yes, it, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've been watching just recently the Up series by Michael Apted, and it's um, uh, it starts off with seven years. They they talk to certain kids that are seven years old, and then every seven years they would do a follow up. And I'm mentioning this because it really pointed out to me how our life is a story. And these people, we got to uh, 42 right now, and there's still two more. And unfortunately, well, sadly, uh, the director died, so it will end at 63. But it is quite amazing that uh, we see these people kind of, I see them all at once. I didn't have to wait seven years for the next session to start. But how they make their choices, how some of them would say, I would never get married. And then in the next episode, they're married and have kids. So, <laughs> And I think serendipity does play into that too, where you have a certain plan, but then things go haywire or go a different direction. Yes, that is very true. Years ago, uh, one of my best-selling books was a book called Choice Making. Mm -hmm. And in that book, I'm trying to underscore exactly what you're saying right now. Life is a series of choices, and every yes is also a no. And every no, in some other ways, is also a yes. Mm -hmm. And it all unfolds. It all unfolds. And I don't know about you, but my life has shown me that it turned out so much better than I could have planned. <laughs> I, I had lots of directions I was going to go, and I, I've been several different directions, and waiting for the unfolding and learning how to say yes and no are two of the big lessons. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, again, it's really amazing how we can be surprised. And one of my latest stories is the cycle, because I started at uh, university, I started studying there, my first place, and now I'm teaching there. So it's like to be on the other side. And if you had told the young student, like, one day you will be teaching where you're at, they would have said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> very good. That is very, very true. I love the surprises of life. And I love 
the things that work out better than I thought. And probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned in life is that not only for me, but for you and for all the people coming after us is learning the process of, of grief. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that's a consistent uh, tool, uh, ability, willingness that I have learned over the years, as good as everything can get. We live in a constant state of loss. Um, just watching this week what's happened in Florida and the the grief that people have to have and people die in families and people get sick and people struggle with uh, financial, all kinds of things. And if I had it to do over again, one of the lessons I would have learned is to be sure, and I think I did do a pretty good job of it, making my children aware of the process of grief. Uh, sometimes the first grief a child has is losing a dog or grandparent for or us, a friend. <laughs> for us, it was a hamster. And that was, and that for was you, tough. It was yeah. a hamster. Yeah. See, it's a, it's a something. Yeah. We all grieve losses all the time. And this week I'm grieving with two families that have deep, deep losses. And um I think to enjoy all the good things, we have to go both directions. And uh, sometimes there's nothing we can do, but we can stand by, hold hands. And I have a friend that says, show up, be there. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do, but we can show up for each other. And that is the storytelling legacy, too, of, of their legacy that they leave behind, the stories that we talk about them. And they, they, they kind of they come back in our, in our minds, those kind of experiences, I think. And that is really important. And what that has taught me, too, grief has taught me to be really more sensitive to and aware of life yeah. and, and of suffering. And it's just like it's, it's a really good way, I would say, of connecting with others in an authentic way. Absolutely. And I think the hardest one has been, and I'm doing that too, is uh, to grieve our younger life, to grieve the fact that we have more life ahead of us than we have behind us. It's, um, it's a constant challenge and journey. And I think as we all travel this road, as many guideposts and maps that we can leave for others on the journey, um, for me, that's part of my purpose. And for me, that was part of writing the book, Storytelling uh, Legacy. Um, the stories are varied. They're different. They're important. They're not important. They connect. <laughs> um, it was one of my favorite books. I have, as you mentioned, yeah. I've written a lot of books mm -hmm. and a lot of my books have been targeted in the field of psychology and addiction and uh, counseling and so forth. I wrote this book just for the fun of it. <laughs> and so it was very fun for me to write this book. And it's been exciting for me that people are not just reading the book, but they're thinking about their own stories and the beat goes on. Absolutely. Like and I, I, there, there are certain parts of it I really like, especially when you're talking about celebrities. And I want to dive oh. into that because you've had, the fortune to meet a lot of celebrities, various presidents and so on. So is there, is there anything specifically that you'd like to point out here that is very memorable to you in terms of celebrities? I never set out 
to meet one celebrity. It happened in my life for a variety of reasons. And the book kind of explains that. But yes, I've met a lot of celebrities. And I think the most powerful thing I can say about them is remember that they are people too. Exactly. Yeah. They get up. Some of them drink coffee, some don't, some go for a walk, some don't, some have meaningful relationships, some don't, but that there are people like you and me. And I guess I was so naive when I started out in my career. I didn't know who was a celebrity and who wasn't. And that helped me a lot because I'm not awed by celebrities. I'm not really moved by them. And they just kept coming into my life. And I feel very honored to have known and have met several presidents and several entertainers. And But I know them on an authentic, real basis, not on the glitz and glamour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I want to talk about a program you had with Gloria Steinem, Mr. T, and Larry King and Larry King. So And yourself, of course. So that sounds like an eclectic mix there. <laughs> Wasn't that an eclectic mix? And I think at the time, that's one of the times I was naive. I knew who Gloria Steinem was because I've been a advocate for equality for women for more years than I care to admit. Um, so I knew who Gloria Steinem was. And when I was called by uh, the Larry King show and asked if I would go on a show with her, I thought that was great. And then they called and said, and you will be joined by Mr. T. And I thought, who? is that I will find out. And they sent a big limo for each of us. We were lined up in these three limos and out comes this man dressed in white with tons of gold jewelry, <laughs> looking like he could conquer the world. Of course he did. And the three of us bonded and we had quite an evening. By the time we were each on the Larry King show, we had become friends and all went out to dinner afterwards. It was a great eclectic group and it proves my point. Who knows who's going to like who? And we all liked each other a whole yeah. lot. <laughs> I, I think we need more of that. We need to get together with people very different from ourselves to kind of connect with them and see they're just like us in many ways. Yeah. Uh, always remember, differentness is richness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you also met uh, Michael Landon. And uh, I, I find that quite interesting because my, my dad said he was uh, a landlord at some point when we were living in the in the U.S. So, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, uh, there was a connection there. So, uh, yeah. What would you say about Michael Landon? Well, the, um, I guess it's a while ago now, but what I would say is that he was a gentle soul. I had only known him from his television shows and especially Gunsmoke. And I only knew him from seeing him on the screen. So to meet him and find out that he was shorter than I was, was um, quite astonishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's very open about it. I can talk about it because he talks about it all the time. He had lifts for his shoes. He wore a big Stetson cowboy hat and that added to his height. Uh, they bought special horses for him to ride. So he looked really comfortable on the horse. He taught me a lot about humility and about acceptance. And I thought he was a gentle soul. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so, um, yes, yeah, so the, the screens can deceive. And I, I think one thing that uh, I, I also am, am very interested in is uh, digital technology. And um, 
I do like it. I do appreciate it. But I'm also aware that it has its limitations. And I have my limitations with uh, technology. So I have my son, my 14 year old son, who always helps me out when there are issues and technical issues. And you have a son, too, who, who helps you out with yours, right? Oh, yes. I would not be here today if he had not said, Mom, you can do it. As a matter of fact, years ago, I was living in Las Vegas and I was enjoying some retirement and I love I loved all the learning I could do in Vegas. And um, uh, my son said, oh, mom, you've got to get into this computer business. You know, you've been a writer all your life. Uh, there's these other ways. And I'm talking a lot of years ago now. You can do this. You can do that. Well, he started teaching me, and after about two years, and I owned a computer, and I owned a, I had an early K-Pro, and I had all this stuff that I didn't know what to do with, and he's the best teacher in the world, and it's now 13 years later, and I've moved halfway across the country so he can continue to teach me, and he does, and I will say this about him, and maybe your 14-year-old will help you too. The reason I like his teaching, he, he doesn't try to dazzle me with what he can do. He says to me, mom, first you turn it on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he can take me to the very elemental and to the very basic. Yeah. And for my agent stage, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not good at it. No, you're doing really well. Just even <laughs> connecting through Zoom is impressive. I mean, that that was that was also a bit hard. And I remember I had a typewriter, so I would type when I was in my teens and uh, write my my stories and, and novels and so on, and very uh, passionate about it. But I get to the last page and then I make a mistake, and because I'm a bit of a perfectionist, I was like, oh my God, I have to do the whole page again. <laughs> yes, and I'll tell you that I know how much older I am than you are because I wrote my very first published book it ended up being a college textbook and I wrote it with a yellow pencil. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and I graduated to a Smith Corona portable. Then <laughs> yeah. on it goes, on goes the story. But you know that about digital work, I think it's as good as one can make it within their ability and mm -hmm. then just expand sideways. You don't have to know everything to know something. Mm -hmm. And the message can get out in many different ways. And I'm surprising myself that I'm doing podcasts and Zooms. And I, I have to say, I don't know what I'm doing a lot of time, but the message gets out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but there is also a dark side to it, I think. Yes, I mean, I still prefer my my books in, in traditional paper, printed paper. And I, I'm pretty adamant. I still haven't switched. That's one thing I say, no, I won't change. Uh, and uh, as, as much as I can, you know, um, but there is the, the, the darker side, too, because a lot of us are are missing out on life because of digital screens. Yes, uh, I do find, uh, you know, the other area, one of the areas of interest for me is that I have worked many, many years in the field of addiction and dependency. And I think one of the darker sides of uh, virtual sharing is uh, there is so much over content and there is so much information out there that I do believe that are, there are a certain number of people that if they don't feel caught up every day, so to speak, mm -hmm. they feel out of it. And I do believe that we live from the inside out and use all this stuff. The minute it begins to control us, 
then I think we've gone into a darker space with it. And uh, I miss the days where I would walk down the street and uh, the phone wouldn't buzz or ring. There's no email. I am completely free of everything. And now there's like work demands, phone calls and so on. And um, but I always carry it with me. I still can't leave it behind. It has to be the phone has to come with me and go with me every, everywhere I go. And I think that's a shame because I, I, yeah. I prefer not having it. <laughs> Guess what? You can have both. You just can't have every single thing at the same time, but you can have both. I think at my stage of life, I walk every day around a lake. And many days I'm the only person walking around that lake. There's a comfort for me and for my family to know if I ever need help, I have my phone on me and I can get it. But I walk through the neighborhood when I'm done walking through the lake. And when I see people and I can say, have a good walk. I hope your day is great. What do you think of the weather today? I want it all. I just know I'm not going to use all of it at the very same time. But the phone gives me security mm-hmm. and the people give me connection. I, I want it all. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, we also, the, the value of boredom. Because I, I I see a lot of young people, my son included, they 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 don't know how to deal with boredom. They loathe it. They try to distract themselves. And I think there's a lot of value to it. And like waiting in line and you have nothing else to do than just like look around and look at the people and look at the sky. And uh, and uh, the greatest ideas come in those moments where I have nothing else to do. And, you know what? I agree. I love that. Yeah. But I, I think the younger generations are missing out on that. Well then we have to become teachers because uh, I don't know what it's like to be bored. I really don't. I And I'm, part of that comes from living from the inside out. I've always got another book to write. I write a weekly column. Um, I can clean my closet. <laughs> There's too much stuff in there. Uh, I can contact a friend. I can read a book. Some days I have sat down and made lists of all the choices I have. Aren't I lucky? Mm -hmm. But I think we make our luck too, Mm -hmm. because I love doing so many things. And I I have said to my children, I'm never bored. You don't have to worry about that because that's never going to happen. And I agree with you. I think young people haven't necessarily been given the role models or the the wherewithal to see how creative boredom is. I have some of my very best ideas when I'm doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it teaches you patience too, to wait yes. for things. And it's not instant gratification. You have to like work towards it, be patient. And one thing that I've noticed too a lot with uh, when I'm quote unquote bored, and I'm rarely bored myself, I agree with you. You can look outside, but when there's nothing outside of interest, you can look inside. And that's something like whenever I have the opportunity, I do that. I'm, I, I love waiting in line. And then I'm a bit weird in that way because then that, that focuses me. It's like, okay, now I have to do something productive with myself. That's very good. I like that. I like that. And I'm very much like that. So I, I relate to that. There's, um, yeah, I went to the store this morning. I had to wait in line uh-huh. and I saw about four ideas for my next column. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they were just there. They were just happening. And people say, oh, you're so creative. You come up with all this stuff. And I say, no, I'm not, but I am observant. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing you've also included, and I'm a huge fan of that, is humor. Yes, I love humor. Yeah. And I've been known to be a serious person. A lot of my life, especially working in the field of psychology, there was a lot to be serious about. And the same with working in the field of, of addiction. But actually, it was a lot of the recovering people in addiction that taught me humor. Uh, my husband, my former husband, he uh, passed away last year, um, was the greatest humorist mm -hmm. I've ever met. And he, I mean, he just didn't accept my seriousness. He saw the joy and the funny part of everything that went on. And so my humor is relatively new. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I've, I've developed as an older person is I do now see <laughs> the funny side of a lot of things. I, I think what kept me away from humor for a long time is that a fair amount of it was degrading or sarcastic huh. or somebody got hurt <laughs> I, I actually don't consider that humor in my world like sarcasm is not part of it i mean irony is yeah. okay but i i really don't like sarcasm because to me yeah. that's not humorous that's not humor to me yeah. either that really means a lot to me that you said that because i think that was my problem with humor so i didn't develop that side of myself because i did i could never i would never knowingly hurt anybody mm -hmm. uh, i mean i've hurt a lot of people in my life but never knowingly and sarcasm borders on that for me. It's kind of a border thing. Um, but once I said I don't have to be sarcastic to be funny, I love humor. Mm -hmm. I think it graces us and saves us through many, many things. And, and I think there are so many situations that we think of as, as, as a serious situation. But when we think back and see it through a different lens, we're like, this was actually pretty funny. But we didn't <laughs> notice it at the time. I think you're very right about that. You're very astute. You're very sensitive and you get it. You know, yeah. uh, some people get things and some people don't get things, but you get it. <laughs> well, I, I try, but there's also a lot of stuff that's happening in the world now that is humorous, but it doesn't, again, the effect is, is doesn't seem that way, but you realize like that certain people, including politicians live in their own world and it's like they would benefit from having a more humorous perspective of realizing that it's not all doom and gloom and it's not all seriousness. But sadly, we don't see that enough. That's true. That's yeah. very, very true. And very often those same politicians have the floor and they have the microphone, mm -hmm. how much good they could spread mm -hmm. if, if they made it more palatable and more mm -hmm. enjoyable. And my, my, my podcast, my previous podcast what I'm, was in Tricksters, who like to do pranks and so on. And so I'm not a big fan of pranks because there's that deception, but I do appreciate it so much more. If like, you know, people are trying to show us it's not all seriousness and it's we can have fun and be playful at the same time. Absolutely. Important message. Important message. And um, uh, you also mentioned boots, which I like too. <laughs> let's, let's talk about boots. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a good subject. <laughs> I love boots. <laughs> better than shoes. <laughs> and and be definitely better than barefoot. I'm not a barefoot kind mm -hmm. of person. But years ago when, I won't mention brand names, but there was a brand name boot that came out. And originally I was from the state of Minnesota where it's mighty cold. And from Colorado, where it can snow one hour and you're wearing shorts 
the next hour. <laughs> and I wanted a pair of these very expensive boots because I love boots, cowboy boots, uh, <laughs> snow boots. I love all kinds of boots. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to pay that kind of money for just a pair of boots. And so I didn't get them. And so that year for a Christmas, same son gave me a pair of those boots. <laughs> And now I put on boots right about Halloween. I'm, they'll be coming out and I've got different kinds and they really don't come off until after Easter. <laughs> I love boots. I think they're fun. Men's boots, women's boots. And I once had a pair, a future employer gave me a pair of lizard boots with uh, pheasant things all over them. I mean, they were something else, and I wore them out. <laughs> you can be really creative with boots, absolutely. You can be really yeah. creative with boots. They have a message all their own. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, so uh, how, how did this idea come about? What inspired you to to start writing this book on on storytelling? Is is that kind of also a combination of various approaches you've had, like narrative uh, approaches, or is it you just wanted to talk about your life and share it with others? or what, what was the impetus there really for, for your book? All of that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of like writing is my passion. Mm -hmm. I, I do, I, it's very passionate for me. So I love to write. And when I look back over the years, um, I've had so many lives. Mm -hmm. uh, for years and years, I worked in the field of addiction and it taught me a whole lot. It also settled a lot of things for me and the family I had come from where addiction was fairly normal. Uh, I worked in, then I met the man of my life and had this 40 year ongoing love affair that, um, and then set up programs to work with other couples so they could have uh, ongoing <laughs> love relationships too. And then I lived in the cold land. I lived 22 years in the desert. I've had a lot of different lives and I'm very grateful for that. I've been places I didn't think I'd go. I've been on a trip around the world and that changed me as a person. And I just felt there was value in these stories. And so every story I wrote has a life lesson mm -hmm. that ends each story. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was kind of wake up that life lesson in the lives of other people because I bet they've had stories about their own life lessons, or they even can relate to some of mine. And I just wanted to focus. And so writing the book gave me a great focus for stories, uh, so much so that I've really missed writing, and I'll probably do a second book of more For stories. sure, yes. yes. Um, I like things that have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and they make sense for somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think a good story has. It, yeah, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then a new story starts, but there's always the lesson that's left behind. I like the creativity there, too, of being able to reinvent oneself. I like Phoenix coming out of the ashes. I love that, that image, that symbolism. And I've been that, too, at various points in my life. And, and, and I feel sad that people get stuck in a story that they can just uh, come out of in different ways. They can reinvent themselves, but they, they think they have to be uh, faithful to the story that was previously, but they don't look ahead of like what could be. And that basically there are very few limitations, if any, of like, you know, reinventing yourself. I love that you said that. 
I really love that you said that. And I think if there is a limitation, then the next question becomes, what do I do about that limitation? <laughs> yes, yes. It's an unfolding and uh, ever-changing. The story is ever-changing. Mm -hmm. and, and to a degree, I think the uh, um, COVID, uh, the pandemic has, has taught us that there is more, not only to life, but to our lives. And that a lot of people have, have switched their jobs and careers. And I, I applaud that if it's thoughtfully done, of course, but I applaud that because it's like, you're not stuck. You can reinvent yourself in many ways. And I think the ability to keep reinventing is what longevity, meaning, purpose. Um, yes, I think if we can't reinvent, the story is going to be there and we'll be stuck in it. Mm -hmm. And to me, like uh, the previous idea of a job that you're stuck with it, you're in the same place, you retire, th that seems to me a nightmare. And I think my generation started like looking at things and the, the younger generations even more so of like, no, we, we have to keep changing. We have to adapt to the situation. We have to create something new and not just follow a, a, a given trodden path, but go our own path or unique paths, I think. Yeah, and I say I would say that's the story of the stories <laughs> is um, find yours. You know, I, I I've had mine, and I, I have a full belief that everybody's got opportunities and handicaps. And I had a mentor one time that that kept saying over and over, "Look for the opportunity in the handicap, <laughs> and therein lies your special story." And how did you find your vocation? Was there a specific uh, experience that brought you in that? Or again, vocations, because you, you have very... I have to say, which vocation? <laughs> yeah, I know. Plural. <laughs> My one. first vocation was uh, being a young single mother of three children and seeking some kind of help for myself, found really good help and really good support. And then I wanted something like that for my children. They were young at the time. They were 9, 11, and 13. And uh, I couldn't find anything. So I started a company that offered, uh, a for-profit company that offered that kind of help to children. And guess what? That grew into a different company that grew into a different company. And then the research in the area of what happens to children growing up took me into the field of addiction, mm -hmm. which paired up with the fact that I had grown up with addiction in my family. So now I had a new career in the area of addiction and on and on it went. Every story led to another story. I didn't have a plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are the co-founder of National Association of Children of Alcoholics. Yes, and I, am. I very wow. much applaud that because I think like um, um, alcoholism is, is horrible and uh, alcoholics suffer, but a lot of people forget about the children. And I, I, I think that's that's really important because the trauma that they have to go through of being uh, children of uh, alcoholic parents, uh, I think it, it, it had been neglected, but then you have really like uh, shown a light on it. And uh, just recently, actually, a few nights ago, I, I watched the movie When a Man Loves a Woman. It's about this this uh, mother who becomes an alcoholic. And I was really like moved by by the kids who have to see this and go through this. And they're young and they have to um, under try to understand what's going on. And I don't think there had been much support for them previously. And now it's changing, of course. Well, I wanted to tell you that um, a long time ago, 
uh, I was invited to meet with other people. I didn't know them. They were, were all from around the United States. Some were pastors, some were doctors, some were counselors. There were some were teachers. We There was a group of about 14 or 15 people that were going to come together and just look at the education of children. And we found out by talking to each other, we all had at least one parent who was addicted to something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to meet other grown up people. And I still to this day meet people. I met uh, I met a doctor recently. And before we're done with the appointment, I find out he grew up in an alcoholic family. And but that original group of people became the co-founders of the National Association of Children of Alcoholics. There are now millions of members in this country and other countries. Mm -hmm. And there is not enough yet for the very young. Mm -hmm. But the adult children are, are getting the word out in their careers on shows like your show right now. Um, and we don't have the corner on suffering children. There's children of poverty families. There's children of families that have terminal illness. There's a lot of children out there who aren't getting their needs met. Mm -hmm. But for every adult, if every adult does something that helps the lives of a few children, we'll make a dent. I love the wisdom of the serenity prayer. I actually try to use it every day myself, just in my regular life. What can I affect and what can't I? What can I change and what can I not change? And it's, it's actually helped me a lot of like dealing with a lot of like anxiety one has for example about the world what's happening and you feel frustrated and you want to do something but there are limitations there and i think to to realize i have control over this part and not over that part i think that has really helped me to understand things i'm happy to hear that because that prayer has been part of my life since i was about 10 years old mm -hmm. my mother had it taped in our kitchen to the mm -hmm. wall. Mm -hmm. And before I ever knew what it meant, mm -hmm. I could say that prayer. I still say it every single day. It helps me. And um, let's look at the F word, but I'm talking here about faith. And uh, it's a cousin, maybe fate. Um, where do you stand about that? And how, how do you feel? Um, faith, I am, I'm, I'm feeling that it's something that ebbs and flows. And now it's kind of in the more flowing stage. And uh, I, I very much applaud that. Fate, I don't know. I, I keep flip-flopping and I'm not sure. Is it our choices? Is it things that happen to us? Is there a destiny? Is there? Do we create our own lives? What would you say here? What would be your take on it? You know, you're asking a very big question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that should be another podcast, probably. <laughs> that should be another whole podcast. I'll give you just a short answer. Sure. I can only speak for myself. And uh, my life has been good, bad, hard, and fantastic. And I have a faith and I pray for faith. I can't necessarily describe everything about it. I love the serenity prayer. I have a faith. I have a belief. It's very, very strong. I don't know what it is for anybody else, mm -hmm. but I do have more concrete feelings about fate. Mm -hmm. I think we are a product of what happens to us and the choices we make about that. Mm -hmm. I do believe that we all have choices. And the one thing I don't believe in is anybody has to really stay stuck somewhere. Mm -hmm. If one is stuck, there is a way out. Now, it may come with a lot of new hard choices, but 
believing in yourself and believing in something bigger than you at the same time and taking some kind of action is what it's all about. I, I, I believe we have a lot of power over our fate. And um, that's another whole podcast. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. That's uh, so insightful. Uh, so insightful here. And um, thank you for being on a rash as well. I just want to remind everyone. So you're Sharon Wegscheider Cruz. You are uh, you have many vocations, as you said, and uh, and your latest book is Storytelling Legacy. Everyone has stories. What are yours? I love the invitation to the question there of like involving the reader. And thank you so much uh, for being in Arash's world. Thank you very much. And thank you for your wisdom. Thank Bye. You. Bye.